You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Today on Wellness for Life, we have one of the leading experts on cannabis therapeutics. His name is Dr. Jordan Tischler, and he's a Harvard-trained holistic care physician. He combines Western medicine and cannabis care to treat a variety of illnesses and is particularly specialized in stress management, insomnia, and human sexuality. Really happy to have Dr. Tischler here. Thank you so much. Hi. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So one of the big questions that you know a lot of my patients ask me all the time is what's the difference between cannabis and hemp plant? Because cannabis, they think of marijuana, and then there's a lot of products out there that comes from the hemp plant. Can you explain, please? Sure. Um, you know, some of that mystery is just unnecessary. Um, cannabis and hemp are basically the same plant. Um, but as you know, there are many different subtypes due to the way it's been bred and the way it's been grown. And so the definition of hemp is basically it's cannabis that has been bred and grown to have very little or almost no THC in it. So the legal federal definition is less than 0.3% THC. So anything that has that, that little uh, THC in it is by definition hemp. Um, now, the history behind these things are kind of interesting because hemp was grown um, in the United States and in Europe back through the 17 and 1800s with no particular uh, thought about it as a medicinal because it didn't contain or didn't um, manufacture the THC. Um, really, it was an industrial product that was used to make paper and and um, a cloth, and in particular, rope, which, you know, the entire U.S. Navy, um, back when we had those sailing ships, right, was run on hemp-based rope. So it was an agricultural product. And it was only really sort of through the late 1800s and into the early 1900s that people started to recognize that cannabis with the THC could actually be used medically. Uh, and a lot of that information actually came back from India uh, with, um, you know, the, the British colonists that uh, were living and working there. So basically, cannabis is, or I should say hemp is cannabis, uh, but depending on the percentage of the one ingredient THC, that either tells you whether it is medicinal I should say not medicinal. The word isn't that. It's it's the psychoactive chemical. Yeah, and it's even sort of slightly more complicated than that because, you know, while hemp extracts won't cause you the kind of intoxication or high that we associate with THC, um, you know, there are other chemicals that may or may not be in that hemp extract, uh, which can have certain uh, you know, potential benefits or psychoactive uh, properties. So, you know, the one that's pretty commonly talked about, of course, is CBD or cannabidiol. Um, and we've sort of gotten into this really kind of weird space where because CBD doesn't seem to intoxicate people, um, it's, be it's become legal to sell it, whether it's, you know, it 
you know, over the counter or, or through your state system. Um, and uh, now you can find CBD products pretty much everywhere, the gas station, uh, Whole Foods, you know, wherever it is. Um, and, you know, obviously, if those things are potentially to be used as medicine, then they are, in fact, psychoactive. They're just not intoxicating. And that's sort of a little bit of a nuance there. The real question is, you know, are those products, regardless of whether it's from Whole Foods or your gas station, safe, number one? And number two, do they do anything? Um, and unfortunately, what we have learned over the last couple of years is the answer is no. Um, that is to say, we have found that a lot of these products that you can get at the gas station or online may have no CBD in them at all. Uh, but worse yet, they may have other things in there that you don't want, like heavy metals, pesticides, and even we found some that have had additives like opioids and benzodiazepines, which, of course, you're probably trying to avoid if you're thinking this way in the first place. Um, so, you know, when people ask me, well, what do you think of CBD products? Uh, generally, my response is I think that they're likely to be unsafe as they are presently in a not very regulated or not at all regulated sense. Um, the larger question is, you know, where does CBD fit in this therapeutic um, approach? And the sad reality there is, again, the, the, the cart is before the horse, uh, that because we can sell it, there are all kinds of claims being made about how wonderful it is for your sleep or your anxiety or pain. And in fact, when we look at the scientific data, you know, that which informs us, the, the reality is that CBD has been shown to be useful for seizures in children with rare genetic seizure disorders. And that's it right? All of the other discussion about um, pain and anxiety and sleep and all that stuff comes from mouse studies, not human studies. And so um, it's really a bit of a stretch for us to start thinking that this is useful for humans. Um, and when we look across all the studies, whether they're human or, or mouse, what we find is that in order for it to do anything, you need to take an unreasonable amount, meaning, you know, like 700 to 1400 milligrams per day, which generally works out to like 50 to $100 a day, you know, which makes it kind of a non-starter, even if you could find that much. Um, Dr. Tischler, uh, you know, I know I, I have used CBD oil in my practice and for myself. And I, I will tell you that a lot of people, um, it's helped with a great deal of anxiety. Um, and their nervousness. It has helped. So um, although I understand that it may not be uh, that the science is more with the, the animals out there, um, I, I do find that it does help. Not everyone. I must tell you, not everyone. And in my practice, I don't use THC, of course, but it definitely it does help. So to me, there's some value to it. It, um, but I totally agree with you. It is not standardized. There is not a system or like, you know, like the FDA, they don't uh, look at the actual amounts and of the standardized levels of, of the CBD oil. Um, hopefully you're going to be getting your CBD from a practitioner or a health uh, practitioner who use, utilizes companies, manufacturing companies that have better quality control and good manufacturing control. So I, I totally get that. But I do find that CBD d does work. I'm, but on the other side, 
you you do mainly you work with uh, formulations that have THC in it, correct? Right. Yes, absolutely. So let's dive um, into this. You know, I think one of the things is look if 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 somebody comes to me and they said, look, I'm I'm using some CBD and it seems to be helping me, then I'm all for that. You know, look, I'm never one to to burst somebody's bubble over that. Um, but most of the people who come to me are coming to me because, you know, either they want to get sort of right at the heart of their problems and, you know, jump to a, to a solution there, or they've tried the CBD. And as you mentioned, you know, they're not getting what they need from it. Um, you know, and it's important for us to remember that there's always a very strong uh, placebo or psychological component to all of this, particularly when we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, behavioral health issues. And so if we're getting, some benefit from that CBD. Uh, I, again, I don't have a problem with it. Um, but you know, when I'm think, when a patient is coming to me and saying, "Doc, what is it that's going to help me?" I tend to to turn to the THC first um, because even though it has some of that intoxicating side effect, it's the thing that we've known now for 60, 70 years, and where we have you know. Um, mountains and mountains of both safety and efficacy data um, in human beings. Um, and so, you know, to your question, uh, there are a lot of conditions that we can treat effectively with cannabis. And when I say cannabis now, I mean THC dominant cannabis, um, ranging from that anxiety that you mentioned, um, uh, low level depression, pain management, insomnia, nausea, vomiting, the sexuality things that you mentioned a while back. You know, there's a whole range of things that we can address very effectively with very careful, low-dose uh, cannabis. And again, also thinking a little bit about how it's delivered to, the, you know, how we take it um, and the timing of all of those things. Fantastic. Let's talk about that. We know my husband, George, he... Um, after running way too many miles up our hill where we live, he fractured his knee, you know, from, uh, oh, no. from impact. I know. But it was such a painful situation for him. You can barely, he can't even walk. It was, and it was giving him such deep pain, uh, even when he wasn't moving. I actually suggested him to get medicinal marijuana. So the type of so the type of, of medicine that you actually um, uh, am your strong proponent for. So uh, he actually did get some. His doctor gave him a prescription, and he went to the local um, pharmacy. I'm talking about you know marijuana pharmacy, and he got some. And for the first time, it, he said, "Wow, it gave him relief," you know, and he felt really decent. So he can get deep sleep uh, that night. So let's talk about how it can help pain control. And, and then we can move into some of the other conditions. Sure. Um, you know, pain is uh, pretty much the number one complaint uh, patients bring to us. And it's one of the areas where we know that our current uh, options are pretty limited, right? I mean, we've got, you know, Tylenol and the non-steroidals, which can work for some people and for some things, but then many people, it just isn't enough or they have some reason they can't take it. And then after those two things, we're kind of pretty much stuck with opioids. So bringing cannabis into the discussion really gives us a, a significant increase in our options. And if we are comparing cannabis to opioids on a sort of head-to-head -head basis for, you know, what we would call mild to moderate pain, uh, we know that cannabis is actually equally good, 
Neither are brilliant, but they're, they're okay. Um, but it's a whole lot safer. And, uh, and so, you know, again, I think this is an area where we need to think cannabis first and opioids thereafter if needed. Um, we also know that by using cannabis in conjunction with opioids, if we have somebody who needs some of both, then we can use far less of the opioids and therefore we reduce the risk that comes along with the opioids. Um, you know, thinking a little about poor George, um, if somebody has uh, acute pain, like they, you know, they fall and then they've broken their knee, um, generally speaking, that's a time to think about inhaled cannabis. When we use cannabis by inhalation, we have rapid onset. Now, you know, the internet is full of a lot of baloney, and one of the balonies is that it's immediate. Well, it's not immediate. It's quick, but it's not instant. It's sort of 10 to 15 minutes. Why is that distinction important? Well, you know, if you're puffing away on something, you can take a lot of puffs in 10 to 15 minutes before it catches up with you. So we have to be a little bit cautious about not overdoing that. But then, you know, in 10 to 15 minutes, we're getting some pain relief, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, it, inhaled stuff doesn't last super long. It's like three to four hours and starts to wear off. In some circumstances, that's a good thing. An example I often give is a, a migraine headache, right? With a migraine headache, you want to get in there at the first sign of the headache and really clamp down on that with your cannabis medicine. But then again, if the headache goes away, if we're successful, then we'd like the medicine to go away too, and we can go about our daily life. Doctor. Um, on the other hand, yeah. I just want to ask you this. You were saying it's inhaled. So inhaled meaning through the lungs or through the nasal passages up through the, in, into, through the ethmoid bone and into the brain. Which, are you saying both? No, no, no. Inhaled is through the lungs in this case. Um, and actually to, to kind of go into that a little further, um, you know, everybody I'm sure when they hear me say inhaled immediately thinks about smoking, smoking a joint, smoking a pipe, that sort of thing. As a physician, I'm not going to recommend that people smoke because the smoke from cannabis contains many of the same toxins and particles that we see in tobacco smoke. And we know that's not very good for you. Research on cannabis smoke does not show or shows that cannabis smoke is not as bad for you as tobacco smoke. But because of those similarities, my view is since we don't need to smoke the stuff, we should avoid it. So what are the alternatives? Well, there are, the alternative to smoking is uh, what's called vaporization. But vaporization comes in two, two kinds, good and bad, right? If you think about it, you've probably seen lots of people on the street with these little pen-shaped devices that people call vapes, and they have a little oil cartridge at the top, and that's the bad kind. And the problem with those devices is that they're stupid. They don't, they don't provide any control. There's no feedback, et cetera. And so essentially, they're burning that oil. And as you know, burning oil creates carcinogens, and that's bad for us. So that's the one we don't want to use. On the other hand, there are these devices that you put ground-up cannabis material, a.k.a. weed, into, and they're a little bit larger, and the thing that makes them work is that they have a little computer brain, and that brain is measuring the actual temperature that you're heating the cannabis to, and it can therefore get us to the right temperature and keep us at that right temperature, which is 350 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you can uh, do the vaporization, 
um, reliably at 350, then we get the medicine that we need, but we don't get any of the smoke and we don't get any of those toxins. And so that is the preferred way of doing inhalation. Wow, thank you for explaining that because, um, you know, I, I had a vision of all kinds of like being in a smoky room and all that, you know, uh, what I do remember for my husband, he didn't smoke any of that. And I believe it was the type of inhalation aerosol type that you're talking about that he um, also tried out. Now, you, your uh, website Great. is called InhaleMD inhalemd.com do you um do you actually sell product there i don't sell product um all of the product is purchased through the state uh legal um dispensary system so you know really it's uh my office my virtual office since it's all now telemedicine um is essentially going like going to see any other doctor where then at the end of it, they may or may not write you out a prescription and then you go to the drugstore to, to purchase that prescription. Um, you know, and in fact, uh, patients, when they do come to see me, we spend an hour first meeting going through sort of all about what's going on with them and how we can best help and what, what to get and what not to get, and what is the absolute baloney that's out there, uh, and what's true. And then they go home with both a packet of that information, they go home with a, a prescription filled out for them, which isn't important from the dispensary's point of view, but it's a way of communicating to them, again, when they, when they get home, you know, and are thinking, what did he tell me to get? So it's all written down. Um, and, uh, you know, so that I go through this very much step-by-step step with people from top to bottom so that they can really understand what it is they need to get, why they need to get that, as well as what to avoid. Um, and hopefully that leads us to a better outcome sooner. What, what is, you know, you mentioned that when hemp oil is, uh, is considered hemp oil, it's 0.3% of THC. Mm-hmm. And that means it's very, very low, low, minute amount. Well, when it comes to inhaled um, THC formulations, what's the actual amount that's in each serving or each dose? Uh, you know, that's a great question. It's a little hard to answer. So here's the way I do this. Cannabis flower, botanical weed, is measured as uh, THC by percentage of dry weight. And that's not exactly the most helpful uh, approach um, for dosing. But when we take a moderate potency, uh, you know, that the, the percentages can range anywhere uh, from sort of like 10 to 35%. Uh, so 10 is pretty low, uh, 35 is extraordinarily high. And because this is done in percent, what we know is that if you get a very high percent of THC, then you've got a very low percentage of all of the other chemicals that cannabis makes that sort of help the THC do its job. So we don't want something that's too low in THC, but we also don't want something that's too high in THC. We want something that is that sort of nice middle ground. And so what I say is 15 to 20% THC is kind of ideal. And if you put that into the vaporizer and you take a puff, which is a full lungful, then we can work out that that's about three to five milligrams of the THC. So it's a little bit complicated, but once you kind of get it down, 
it's pretty easy. And so what we can do in terms of dosing is simply talk about how many puffs did you take? You know, did you take two? Did you take three? That would be sort of like 10 to 15 milligrams of the THC, which again is kind of an ideal dosing range. Does it matter the size of the patient? Actually, no. Um, it doesn't matter either in terms of sort of the, the volume of distribution, meaning how, how much does the person need because they're bigger or smaller. That doesn't seem to matter. And the other thing is that lung capacity um, is fairly constant uh, amongst men and then also slightly, uh, slightly less in women, but, but within each sex, it's fairly constant so that the estimate of the milligram dose is fairly reliable uh, as long as we're taking a full lungs worth, which means that we know that we're getting the same volume each time. One of the problems of um, prescription drugs is that if you take it long periods of time, there's a lot of side effects involved in it and it could be quite detrimental. Are there any problems with taking THC inhaled medicinal products uh, that will give you any long-term side effects? Um, when, you know, so in terms of acute side effects, there are two that I think about commonly. One is the intoxication, right? And I often say, look, if somebody is trying to tell you that they can treat your pain or whatever, fill in the blank, with cannabis, with no intoxication, run because they're not, they either know what, they don't know what they're talking about or they're lying to you. Um, so we do have to expect some amount of intoxication. Of course, the goal is to maximize the benefit with a minimum of side effects, and that would include the intoxication. The other side effect that kind of always goes with the territory is some dry mouth. Um, it's important to know that that's not because you get dehydrated. The cannabis doesn't dehydrate you. What it does actually is literally turn off your saliva glands. Um, so your mouth is dry, but it doesn't mean you need to chug water. So little sips of water and everything's fine. So those are the acute uh, side effects. But you were really last asking me about long-term side effects. And the reality here is that we have um, a vast literature, thanks to our federal government, looking for harm uh, caused by cannabis. And frankly, we really haven't been able to find much. Um, there have been a number of studies done in recreational users, one in particular called the New, New Zealand study that started in 1972 and followed um, a little over a thousand young men who were recreational users all the way through till now in their midlife era um, and looked at things like, you know, uh, what kind of education did they get? What kind of jobs did they get? Can they keep their jobs? Do they have important relationships in their lives, et cetera? Real world questions about how people have done. And we've really been able to find no difference between the cannabis users and the, the non-using controls. There have been some studies that looked again at people who had been using high dose recreational cannabis for, you know, 30, 40 years in terms of like IQ mapping. Um, and some of those studies have shown a small decrement, particularly in verbal memory, but not executive function and spatial reasoning and that sort of thing. Um, and the decrement is so small that I'm not sure that it's particularly significant. Um, Again, if, one of, if my patients come to me and they're sort of already 40 or 50, this isn't something that I tend to worry about because it's, you know, um, 
the, the length of time isn't there. Um, but the other thing to remember is that if we're doing this in a truly medical fashion, we're using much more controlled and much lower doses than we would be compared to sort of recreational people who aren't even bothering to think about dosing. I would add this one other tidbit, which is there was a great study done recently looking at what happens to cognitive function in medical cannabis patients, right? So all those previous studies that I mentioned were in recreational users, but what happens to people who are using this as we would as a medicine? And what they found was actually people's cognitive abilities went up, they improved. And the theory, at least at the moment, is that being sick causes such a cognitive decline that making people feel better actually improves their cognitive function. Maybe not back to when they were 20, but better than they are without the treatment. And I think that that's very reassuring. I think it also could be because, um, you know, if if uh, cannabis can help with stress management, the hippocampus isn't burdened uh, so much, you know, because stress and anxiety um, does have an effect on the health and the size of the hippocampus. We know that over time, um, traumas and stresses reduce the hippocampus, which is all part of also related to a cognitive function and your memory. I think that might be part of it. What do you think? Yes, I, I, I totally think so. Um, you know, there's very clear that stress takes a major toll on, um, on all of those cortical stru- uh, subcortical structures. And it's very clear also that cannabis has an influence uh, at that level. And, um, you know, there's always this question of like, is it going to um, harm your memory function or improve your memory function? And I think it really depends upon sort of what are the, what are the factors that are driving you to this? Meaning if you're already having, as you point out, a, a big cognitive burden from all of these stressors, then we're going to see a net improvement. If you're perfectly fine, then maybe we'll demonstrate a net decrease in function. But then again, maybe that doesn't really matter in the first place, you know, if it's small enough. Mm, thank you. Uh, you know, we only have a few more minutes, but I would like to ask you, um, your specifically your practice is where you combine uh, Western and the cannabis uh, therapeutics together to help your, your clients. But I want to ask you, are there other doctors that do what you do? And is there such thing as a um, an actual um, directory of medical licensed doctors who are who learned or went to a certain classes um, credited for cannabis therapy? Glad you asked that. So, you know, when I started my practice, which is almost 10 years old now, um, you know, there really wasn't anybody doing this. In fact, everybody thought I was nuts for, for going in this direction, um, including my mother, who's since come around. Um, and uh, so after I got started at this, then I started thinking exactly like you, like, well, all right, so who else is doing this and how do we make sure that people are doing a good job? So I started a group called the Association of Cannabis Specialists, and it's now blossomed into an international organization. And the goal of it is really that, is to make sure that all of the doctors who are doing this are doing it based on best practices and, and scientific data to educate other doctors about the, the science and when to refer their patients to specialists 
um, and also to work with the industry to make sure that the products are, get better and to work with lawmakers to make sure the regulations get better and all of those sorts of things. And so one of the things that we do as, as a society is provide a directory of our members. So um, if people want to check that out, they can go to cannabis-specialist.org cannabis-specialist.org, uh, and there is a directory of our members. And all of the members in good standing are people who have taken this pledge to be up to date and to take care of their patients and not to simply dole out cards willy-nilly. So I think that's a good resource. Uh, I would say that the, uh, the association is just about to release a brand new website. So if you go right now, you'll see a very nice but, uh, but um, out-of-date website not out of date. I think that's not right. It means up to date. It's just we're going to have something better uh, that will come along in the next couple of weeks. Um, so people should just be aware. Fantastic, Dr. Tischler. You know, gosh, I could talk to you a lot longer, but we're, we're pretty much running out of time here. Uh, so inhalemd.com, that's your website, correct? Yes. And um, right now, of course, during COVID times, you are taking patients um, and this is going to be virtual consultation and you work on all different. I mean, we only talked about pain here uh, today, pretty much. You also mentioned about um, migraines, but there's a lot of other conditions that you help with uh, considering like PTSD and anxiety and cancers. Even there's a lot of people insomnia, that I, insomnia yep. exactly. Um, and I really thank you for being here. And then you mentioned the cannabis-specialist.com website. So anyone who wants to see if there's other people around this country who does the same thing, who's pledged as you have to help people utilizing cannabis therapy uh, to help their, the individuals for all the different conditions, that's where you can go as well. I so appreciate your information. Absolutely. You're great to speak to and lots of good information here that's going to help a lot of people. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. You bet. Okay, awesome. You know, definitely share the show with loved ones who have conditions that we spoke about. Joint pain, arthritis. Um, um, my husband, he fractured his knee and it did help him. Uh, anything from sleeping issues to anxiety and depression. And, you know, if you're your family members or yourself, you cannot take prescriptions. And for me, of course, I'm all about doing it all naturally. And um, cannabis is a natural ingredient, but I do think that it would be definitely worth try so that you can see if you can stay, get away from a lot of, of the drug therapies that will cause other types of, of um, heavier, different types of side effects that can affect you in a more negative way. And um, definitely, if you've not subscribed yet, please do so, so we can do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need any help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people all over the world through phone and Skype consultations, and you can find my info on drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life here, right here on Radio MD. Stay well.